Previously on the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. If what might happen actually happens, there are going to be a lot of folks losing a lot of money. They keep saying, well, you know, it's about the money. But I'm not making any more money. They're making the money. I really want the swag to be illuminated as a premier super conference for HBCU. If you go to the Olympics and finish in 20th place, you're forever an Olympian. And it's not a lot of people who can say that. That's a big deal. That is amazing. Then out of respect, you should call him Coach Prime. Coach is a sign of respect. Every weekend you have three good swag matchups that you gotta see. Why isn't Election Day a, a national holiday? It should be. You are kind of breaking exclusive here and now, aren't you? I am. We believe in change and we're prepared for it with new techniques and new approaches. And as for our part, we feel that you're the best pieces of manpower available in this whole region. Let it go out there today, baby. Three, two, and once again, our mighty ship is back on course. Welcome to the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Oh, mama, there goes that man. You know, ladies and gentlemen, the star of our show. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. So glad that you are joining us for what should be a great episode. A couple of very interesting and entertaining conversations, I hope. So we have those things coming up for you. And before we get into all of that and I tell you what we have coming up, I want to welcome you. This is your first time. And if you've been here before and hadn't had a chance, please go to Wade's Word Productions. Dot com. That's wadeswordproductions.com. Listen to all past episodes, any and all of the past episodes. Uh, peruse the site. See a little bit about one of the guys that will be on the show this time, Eddie Robinson. You can read about me. You can see some of the other things that I'm into, the Friday Express. All of those things are at wadeswordproductions.com. Also, we like to be interactive here. And one way we can do that is by providing a sports line for you guys. And we have. So you can call me. Anytime you want to, 24 hours a day, 832-941-6614. That's 832-941-6614. I want to know what you think. What do you think about Deshaun Watson? What do you think about Simone Biles? What do you think about the NBA free agency frenzy that's going on? What do you think about anything and everything? We certainly want to hear from you guys on anything you want to talk about. If you have a question, if you have an area you want us to uh, have a a conversation about, or if you want a guest from a certain area, please hit us up. 832-941-6614. And your comments may very well end up on the very next podcast. Also, another way to be interactive is on Facebook, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade group. And there are posts every single day, multiple times a day from either myself or J.M. Keith or some of the wonderful folks that check in daily. Uh, Charles Rayon, a bunch of folks. Uh, my man, my nail Diamond posted on the uh, site the other day. So uh, p- people post all the time. You can do that as well. Also, I uh, put poll questions on there from time to time that we talk about in our We the People segment that frequently appears on the podcast. So all of those ways are ways to be interactive with the show. Now, this time out, we have a very interesting conversation with Coach Clarence McKinney of Texas Southern University. Tigers is about a month away from getting underway with their swag season. Of course, I've been calling swag football since 1991. 
So, yeah, I've been in the game for a long, 1992 officially. So I've been in the game for a long, long time with Texas Southern football, and uh, we will have a conversation with him to get you all revved up about some swag football and get a chance to know him a little bit better. Also, we have our guy from the special teams unit, former NFL linebacker. You know him. You love him. Our European sports nerd, Eddie Robinson. He is in the building, the figurative building, not the literal building, but he will join us to talk uh, about some pre- pressures of sports. Yeah, of course, that comes up because of Simone Biles and all the things that have transpired with her in the Olympics. I'll have some comments on that. I'll give you my top 10 things that I have enjoyed about these Olympics. And, of course, we'll get into some headlines. And don't forget about this, but we have a Lamont Award for the big dummy of the episode. So all of those things are coming up. And this time out, we're going to rearrange things a little bit because I want to get right into our conversation with Coach Clarence McKinney. He, of course, has had a stellar career starting, what, I think at North Shore, then, of course, at his alma mater, Yates. He's been at U of H, Arizona, Texas A&M, and now the head coach of the Texas Southern University Tigers. So uh, he's had a a wonderful journey uh, throughout this coaching career and is excited about this upcoming year. And I think after our conversation, you will be too. Here is our conversation with head coach for Texas Southern University football, Clarence McKinney. Good afternoon, Coach. Uh, so glad that you have joined us. And uh, I know at this time it has to be like Christmas Eve and, and New Year's Eve all rolled into one. You're on the verge of starting with your fall practices. What are your thoughts uh, leading into the days when uh, your student-athletes report back to campus? Uh, we're definitely excited about getting those guys back on campus. Uh, for us, this is probably the most exciting time of the year as a coach because you're getting ready to go to camp and, and mold your team and see what your team is, is going to develop into. Yeah, and you you talk about uh, having a, a, a unconventional couple of years here and getting your team ready. You did have a spring season. However, you were only able to manage two games because of postponements and cancellations because of COVID. What was your team able to gain out of those couple of games and really preparing for game days uh, during the spring? I think we found out a lot about our team just from the standpoint of you played two quality opponents. Although we we didn't win, we played uh, improved football. And and that's what we've been trying to do each each day and each week is improve the team. And and when you look at our spring, our so-called spring season, where, where you stated we only got two games in, but we had a lot of opportunities to practice and, and just improve as a team. One of those games, obviously, was against uh, a, a arch rival in Prairie View. What did you learn about your team in that situation? And, and how much can you take away? Because there weren't a lot of fans. It wasn't the traditional uh, sort of build-up to a football game. What were you able to, to gain from playing your arch rival in the spring? Um, Prairie View is, is going to always be a tough opponent, just no matter what the record is, what how good our team is or their team is. The team, both teams are going to play at a higher level because of the rivalry. And what we learned as a team is that we're just as good, if not better, than the teams on on our schedule. So Prairie View is a quality opponent. They're one of the 
better teams in the West, and we feel like um, we can compete at that same level. When you talk about a, a rival like Prairie View, as a head coach, is it best to just go head on and embrace that fact they're a rival? Because we've had coaches sometimes just say, hey, well, this just is another important game. Is it important to embrace the intensity of the rivalry or just let your players do that? Uh, as far as the intensity goes, I think, you know, one, you got to get up for a rivalry game. If if, if uh, you can't get up for a rivalry game, then something's you, you probably don't need to be in this sport but the game is more important for us not just because of it being a rivalry game but it's our first conference game and so we're actually uh playing for first place with the first game of the season in our conference so we, we're, we're trying to be on top of the conference and the only way you can do that is by winning that first game just so happens to be Prairie View. Well, of course, the swag expands this year, adding Bethune-Cookman and Florida A&M. It doesn't really change your task at hand, but how does it feel with the expanded uh, conference and, and a lot more attention nationally on the Southwestern Athletic Conference? Yeah, a, a lot has changed. You know, uh, with the Florida schools coming in, I, I believe it has opened up some recruiting opportunities for, for all the teams across the league to go into Florida. Florida is rich with high school talent. Even though we're probably the furthest from each other, uh, it's opened up that opportunity for us. And, and FAMU and Bethune-Cookman as well are both quality programs, and we think that they're going to bring a lot of competition to the sweat. want to talk a little bit about the program itself and building a successful program. And obviously you've had success everywhere you've gone. How long does it take and how hard and difficult is it to really build a team in your image? Well, <laughs> I, I can't put a time limit on it, a time frame on it. I want to win now. And so I feel like uh, the team that we have has been built into my image. And and you're talking about a team that's going to go out and play as hard as they can play from the opening kickoff to the last whistle. And um, hopefully we're going to play mistake-free and come away with, with a lot of wins. You know, and I've mentioned this to you before in, in different conversations, how impressive it is that no matter what, when in the season, what point of the game, your teams never give up. The fight is, is in them from the first whistle to the very last. Talk a little bit about instilling that, that mentality into your guys. Yeah, it's just, it's just something that we do. We, we uh, coach up and, and we let our guys know that no matter what, as long as there's time on, on the scoreboard we're going to play and play our best and we're not a team of quitters it doesn't matter what the score scoreboard says we we always feel like we have a chance to win the game one of the things I've noticed, and especially the last year and a half, the, the offense for Texas Southern has been able to just put up uh, numbers, and you just have so many guys in uh, key positions that can sort of, with breakaway speed and, and playability, talk a little bit about that offense of yours, because not only do you have some quality there, you've, uh, you have a brand new recruit that a lot of people are excited about. Uh, t- talk a little bit about uh, the TSU offense. Yeah, well, we're we're uh, spread up tempo, fast paced offense. We, you know, it's kind of like playing basketball on on the football field, and uh, we we like to get the ball up and down the field as quick as we can. And uh, offensively, we have some tools that we feel like we can exploit, and, and guys like Jonathan Giles and Keelan Davis at the receiver position, and, and then we got a host of running backs 
that we feel like uh, can help us push the ball down the field. And I think that recruits you're talking about is uh, Andrew Body, who's an uh, incoming freshman, which at that position, that it can be hard for an incoming freshman, but we, we kind of want to temper the expectations. But we do think the future is bright with him being uh, one of the top passers in the history of, of the state of Texas high school football. Well, there's a couple high-profile quarterbacks that are getting a lot of attention in the swag. The other one, obviously, is at Jackson State. Of course, Coach Prime has joined the conference. Uh, I know that that's probably a question you get asked more than – I bet you don't get a lot of questions about any of the other coaches in the conference, but I'm sure you've had a, a ton of questions about having uh, Coach Deion Sanders in the conference. What has that meant for the conference, and, and how is uh, how's that relationship been, if any, in dealing with uh, – someone new to the conference uh coach prime and uh we we haven't had a relationship we hadn't had a whole lot of conversations but i know some guys on his staff uh work with some guys on his staff but it's, it's really exciting to have him in our conference just because of the attention he brings to the conference he brings a national audience to the conference but coach prime isn't playing you know so those guys, our, our players, our athletes in the swag, got to go out and, and give the people what they want, which is quality football. And from the outside looking in, it seemed like he came in and thought that he may breeze through this conference. He was humbled a little bit by the spring. Do you think he really believes some of the, the bravado that he brings? or do, Does he really understand how challenging the swag is? Not, not sure, you know, what he believes or, or, or what he uh, but I do know that there's good football in the swag. And you can go to any school, any university, and uh, get your head beat. So uh, <laughs> the, 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 the league is, is balanced. And, and I think he, he found out that um, it, it's a quality league. And, and you know, he, he went out and got some guys. And we're, we're going to see what happens in this, this upcoming season. I want to ask you about the Swags Western Division because that's a – I mean, if it wasn't tough enough, you have Pine Bluff coming off of uh, representing the West in the Swag Championship game in the spring, but then you, you add Alcorn to the mix, so the task just gets tougher. Talk a little bit about that West because that is a brutal stretch uh, of uh, football. Yeah, this West has is, is got some really, really good teams you talk about. Back-to-back SWAC champions in, in 18 and 19 in Alcorn. They played Southern. So you got the two teams that played for, for the SWAC championship in, in two consecutive years. You got UAPB, who's coming off the losing the spring championship. Prairie View's always tough. Gremlin's always tough. Uh, Texas Southern's going to be tough. So... The SWAC is, is the the west side of the SWAC is going to be a, a tough league, and, and I think there's going to be a lot of parity. What do you think about all of the the extra games you'll have broadcast around the country and the extra exposure that your your team gets? Uh, obviously, with the package we have here in Houston, uh, your, every game is on television somewhere. I mean, is it even a thing now to to sort of get hyped up for a television game, or because all of the games are broadcast, it's not as you know, it's not as big a deal as it used to be? Yeah, I don't think it's as big a deal as it used to be because it happens off, more often than now than what it. It happened in the past. So these days, guys are just preparing to play the game. And, and TV doesn't – they automatically assume that this game's on TV because you got the rules as far as the replay goes and, and 
things of that nature. So every game basically is, is a televised game. So you, you kind of put that in the back of your mind. Well, Coach, one of the reasons why I wanted to get you on the podcast, and obviously we'll be having a, a ton of conversations uh, about X's and O's and personnel and all those things throughout the season, but uh, uh, just a little bit about you. Uh, as a head coach, I mean, this is a grueling profession. What has fueled your fire to want to be a head coach or, or a coach, period? You've had a, a ton of experience. You've been in the game since uh, since 1997 on some level. Talk a little bit about the fuel that feeds your fire. Two things. I love the sport. I love competition, but I love impacting young men. And and there were a lot of coaches that, that had a part in my upbringing, although I had both parents. When I was away from my parents and I was with, with my coaches, they brought a lot of positive energy in, into my life. And I, I just really wanted to do the same for some others that, that was done for me. I want to ask you in comparison. So, of course, you you were at the University of Houston, Texas A&M, Arizona, and now you're the head coach at Texas Southern. Were you more nervous for your very first game as head coach at Texas Southern or maybe a Texas A&M-Alabama game in the SEC, or is it all about the same? (laughs) Funny you ask that because as a player, when I was a player, I never got nervous for games. I never – you know, I always felt like I could impact the outcome of a game. But as a coach, no coach is going out there throwing the ball, catching the ball, making a tackle, making a play. And so I, I get just as nervous for every game as a coach, whether I, it was at University of Houston versus Alabama at Texas A&M or here Texas Southern versus Prairie View. And my nerves are, are the same because once we get to that field – it's in the players' hands now. It's out of my hands. So I just hope that we prepare them well enough to do what they need to go out there and, and do to bring home the win. I want to ask you about your journey through uh, coaching. You started as an assistant coach at Booker T. Washington here in Houston. Of course, uh, became head coach of alma mater at Jack Yates, uh, U of H and M, like I said, Arizona, now Texas Southern. Uh, what are some of the things that have really – sort of the highlights for you in your coaching career. We're putting together a highlight film of your coaching career. Now, are there a number of victories or a number of accomplishments that we we should include in that reel? Uh, I, I never really looked at it like that. Someone looking at, at my career may be able to put together a highlight reel, but, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm more about the next game, and I hadn't had an opportunity to really just look back and, and – think about the last game or, or whatever big game I was a part of. To me, they're all big games. Anytime you got a, a chance to compete and there's going to be a winner or a loser, to me, that's a big game. So I, I want to uh, – I hate losing with a passion, and I, I want to come out that winner. But there has have been some games. I would, I would probably say the highlight of my career was my first game calling plays, which was versus Oklahoma in the Cotton Bowl. And how did that go, and, and what were some of the things that transpired during that game? Because I, I would imagine you can probably remember every player, every series of that game. What were some of the things that, that stood out to you? Listen, I had Johnny Manziel at the quarterback, Mike Evans as the receiver, and we had a lot of confidence in, in, in what we were doing and, and felt like, uh, we, we were better than the team we were playing against. So uh, it was a lot of fun that day. 
Yeah, you talk about Mike Evans. He has that Super Bowl ring. You ever talk to to a lot of your old guys? I mean, obviously you're busy, you're immersed in your in what you're doing day to day at Texas Southern. But uh, how often do you have an opportunity to talk to? And I'm not just talking about Mike Evans or Johnny Menzel, but I mean so many guys that you touched their lives and, and coached. Uh, do you have a chance to reach back to, and, and catch up with any of your old players? Yeah, definitely. You know, with with uh, social media and, and you know, you got Twitter, you got Instagram. We all follow each other, and we all keep in touch. And speaking of Mike Evans, he was one of the first guys, if not the first guy, that when I got this job, he donated to our program so so our guys could have some things that we needed here. Oh, well, that's awesome. I don't think a lot of people know that. That's uh, quite a nice thing for him to do. He's a Galveston native, so he's certainly familiar with Texas Southern football. Talk a little right. bit about the relationship with your, with, with fellow coaches. Obviously, you went with Coach Sumlin for two or three stops. Talk a little bit about the relationship you have with him and other coaches that you've worked with. Big brother to me. Um, you know, I met him when I was in high school coaching at Booker T. Washington. He was an assistant coach over at uh, Purdue. And he would come to our school and, and recruit some of our players. And through our, our conversations, he always told me at that time that if he got an opportunity to be a head coach and, and hire me, he was going to do it. And I never thought anything of it. But a few years later, he got that opportunity at the University of Houston. And he says I was the first call he made. We made it happen. We had, we had been, been together ever since that year at the University of Houston until I got here to Texas Southern. Yeah, I want to ask you about your, your current coaching staff. You add to that coaching staff, but talk a little bit about the relationship and the respect you have for the guys that, that help lead uh, the Tigers into battle. Yeah, these guys, um, I mean, from day one, um, we've, we've built a relationship. Everyone gets along. Everyone's uh, goals are the same. Everyone wants to, wants to see us as one of the top programs in the SWAC. And, and – we all just get in here, and, and no matter the day, no matter the number of hours we get in here, and we just uh, grind, you know, and, and try and come up with the, what we feel like are the best ways to, to make our team better and, and get us over the hump. And finally, Coach, uh, I want to ask you about family. Obviously, that was a big motivation and you wanting to come back to Houston. I know you talked about your relationship with your dad. Talk a little bit about uh, not only that relationship, but uh, what your family at home has to, to endure. Because a coach's life is really, really labor-intensive, like I said. And they, they have to sacrifice, I'm sure, a lot with dad not being here, missing you know, you on the road on weekends. Talk a little bit about your family and what they mean to you and, and how they have helped shape your coaching career uh, my family means the world to me and you're right I, I've spent a lot of years away from them but when I get my opportunities to, to spend time with them I don't take them for granted and so uh, but my son my youngest kid he's grown up at the field house wherever I've been so if, if I'm at work he's in the building so we, we've got a chance to spend some time with each other that way and as you know uh, my daughter, Lulu, she's one of the assistant women's basketball coaches here at Texas Southern. So we're, we're not far away from each other. That, that you know, We get opportunities to go to lunch or, or just hang out together here at work. We, we can do that. So we're a close-knit family, but they know that ball has been good to us, so they understand. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's made it all happen. Well, Coach, I tell you what, I, it's great to to catch up with you in this form and talk a little bit about stuff off the field. I know that we'll have an opportunity, like I said before, to to converse quite a bit during the season. I'm as excited as I've uh, been in in many many years about this Tiger program, and, and I think that we're going to surprise a lot of people uh, when we come out. Especially, man, when you see some of those pieces on offense, man, that is just a, extremely exciting to see. And then, of course was Michael Badajo and Mark Intel on the defensive side and some of those guys on the back end. It should be a very exciting season. Uh, I mean, how excited are you? I'm, I'm super excited. Probably the most I've been excited in a long time. Our guys uh, work, have worked their tails off this summer uh, getting ready for this season. And this is, since I've been here, this is the healthiest the team has been. So we're going to go into fall camp with all our guys ready to go. None of our guys needing surgery or coming off of surgery. Everybody is healthy and ready to go, and we're excited about getting getting everybody back together and, and getting going. Well, Coach, we have thousands of folks who listen to this around the country. We have some Tiger faithful and some adversaries out there. What would you like to just send out to, to, the, to the world uh, via this podcast for all the people who come into contact with this conversation? I just want them to know that uh, we appreciate their support as a team, and we look forward to giving the the Tiger alums uh, a team that they can be proud of. Hey, Coach, we certainly appreciate the time, and we look forward to talking to you real soon. Thank you, and uh, go Tigers. For more content, go to WaysWordProductions.com. I want to thank Coach McKinney for joining us, and I look forward to a, an exciting season. I think this is going to be a surprising season for a lot of folks around the swag, especially when you think about the offensive prowess of this Tiger football team. There's some guys that can make some plays, so I definitely look forward to that. With that, going to take a brief time out, come back on the other side with some headlines. Also, uh, Eddie Robinson will join us. Uh, we'll have something from our resident DJ down the road. Uh, that's DJ Anarchy. And, of course, a Lamont Award. All that and a whole lot more on this, the Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. Your children are the most precious gift God has given you. Their well-being is of the utmost importance. And finding childcare that exhibits the same belief is, well, non-negotiable. So why not end your search at Brighter Brains Learning Center? Located in Stafford, Texas, Brighter Brains is a licensed, family-owned and operated daycare that promotes an early educational foundation and provides an environment of love, safety, and quality care for children ages 6 weeks to 5 years old. For more information, call 346-328-3717 or visit brighterbrainslearningcenter.org. It's Shelly Wade, and welcome back to Sports Talk with Devin Wade. Welcome back. Welcome back. There is uh, so much going on in the world of sports, 
And I just kind of want to remind you guys of a couple of things. Uh, coming up, uh, when football season kicks off, and probably just before that, we'll go to our two-podcast-per-week schedule. We were doing Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, and now we'll wrap up. On uh, Tuesdays, we wrap up the NFL weekend, football weekend, and all the stuff that happened over the weekend. And then on Thursdays, we would preview. Uh, we like to preview what's coming up. And we have a couple of features that we like to include each and every week to sort of give you something to look forward to and something to look for in the NFL. So that is coming up. Also want to remind you guys, go to LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-P-A-Y, make a contribution and help support this podcast. Help us to continue to grow and get bigger and better. Of course, we have uh, things that we'd like to do and we can do more of those things when we have your help and your support. If we uh, bring you joy, information, entertainment, please uh, show your appreciation with a modest contribution. Nothing too big, nothing too well, unless you want it to be big. Go to LiberPay, L-I-B-E-R-P-A-Y. So, with that, let's get into some headlines. Like I mentioned, so much going on in the world of sports. You have the Olympics going on. NFL training camps have started. Major League Baseball have not forgotten about those Astros. The NBA draft is taking place. NBA free agency is going on. So it really, really busy, busy time. Uh, in the NFL, of course, Deshaun Watson has reported to camp. Hadn't practiced a lot. He wears a helmet. Hadn't said anything to anyone. Weird situation. And I wanted to address that with the Lamont Award. We may give a little mini Lamont Award as it pertains to that situation. But also the Indianapolis Colts in the Texans division have already suffered a couple of losses on the offensive line. And quarterback Carson Wentz, Quentin Eason, both suffered foot injuries that will leave them out 5 to 12 weeks. So that will give... The uh, Tennessee Titans quite a head start potentially if these guys don't recover. But I don't know. It all depends on what you think of Carson Wentz. The NBA draft is taking place. Of course, the, the Rockets have, have done their thing with Jalen Green being the future of the franchise. Uh, he looks like an exciting player. I have to admit, I, had, I didn't see him a lot. He went straight to the G League. But by all accounts, some people think he's the best guy in the draft, period. But we'll have to see what happens and what transpires. But free agents is underway in uh, Steph Curry are the only player to have two contracts of over 200 million dollars unbelievable and I don't know if you've been around for a long long time historians of football if you, or if you just live long enough you live in that era the Washington Redskins then Washington Redskins had a team that went to the Super Bowl with our own Houston's own Jack Pardee on as a linebacker a bunch of guys on, on that Sonny Jurgensen and all of those guys they were the over the hill gang well, the Lakers are replicating that with all their acquisitions. When you have Dwight Howard come back, you have Carmelo Anthony coming in. Now they made a big trade for Russell Westbrook. We have plenty of time to get into the NBA, but, yeah, they're going to be a, a, a aged team. They're going to be really, really old. I don't know. We'll have to talk about that in, in the coming months as we lead up to basketball season again. But a number of other free agents are moving around the NBA, and we'll get into some of that stuff at a later date. Also, the Houston Astros in what is probably their biggest rivalry right now. I wouldn't say Texas because they just dominate Texas Rangers. But the Los Angeles Dodgers, still bitter. Got to let it go. It's time to exhale, L.A. Dodger fans. 
But the Astros have a quick two-game series that started last night with the Los Angeles Dodgers in Chavez Ravine, and the fans did what they do. And they have uh, really, really gave the Astros the Blues. But it didn't matter because the Astros win last night 3-0. They shut out the second-best offense in all of baseball. Who's the number one offense in baseball? Houston Astros. They've also made a number of trades to secure that bullpen. Miles Straw leaves. A couple other guys leave. Toro leaves. But in return, they have what we think, or they think at least, will secure that bullpen, which was a, a real problem. Getting to the closer was a real problem. Now you just have to get healthy. And you have to have uh, some consistency from the pitching staff. Uh, Lance McCullers Jr. last night did work. He got it done. Blake Taylor did work out of the bullpen. So the Astros did their thing. The biggest thing dominating the world of sports and beyond is the story of Simone Biles. By now, you know, she pulled out of the team competition and gymnastics and a number of individual opportunities to win gold, citing her, her mental health, citing the, the pressures getting to her, and she just didn't have it. Since then, I've heard discussions about her frontal lobe developing because now she's 24 years old, and that's when your front, frontal lobe fully develops. So now you assess risk in a different way. I've heard about the twisties. Something that I'd never heard before, talking about the disconnection between her body and her mind when it comes to performing these intricate and really athletic and even dangerous feats on uh, on the floor and in on uh, the balance beam and on the uneven bars. And so she pulled out. And it has been a learning experience for me, and I guess it signals a fundamental shift in the paradigm as it pertains to mental toughness in sport. Because I come from a generation that just said, hey, no matter what, you focus on the task at hand. Part of the being a great one, the Mamba mentality, Kobe Bryant, no matter what happens, no one, no matter what's going on in the world, if you focus and you lock in and you overcome emotional and mental anxiety and issues to perform and do your thing. And no matter what, that was part of greatness, overcoming sort of mental and emotional adversity, controlling your feelings, controlling those things. But this is a different time and a different era, and we know more about mental health. And it is interesting to see how much love she's gotten. And, and same thing for Naomi Osaka. Because, again, it's a, it's a different sort of thing now. And I think for the long-term health of these athletes as people, I think it's, it's a good thing that they acknowledge and deal with whatever mental uh, sort of struggles that they are going through, mental health struggles that are the go they are going through. Because we as a society, especially these days, uh, are going through it. I mean, you see it with road rage in Houston. They're shooting people up and down the freeway. A lot of domestic violence stuff. A lot of pressure is getting to a lot of people who would have benefited from taking a time out from life to say, hey, let me let me check on my mental health. And she did that. And one thing I will say, you know, I always acknowledge this. Simone Biles doesn't owe anyone anything. By and large, we we overplay how much we really care as a society about athletes. How many people checking on Dominique Dawes these days? 
I mean, have we checked on anybody called Debbie Thomas? Anybody worried about her? You know, so like we love athletes and performers, everybody in the moment, but only a few of the really, really diehard fans really love them and, and continue to, to to support them and, and cheer for them and root for them even after the spotlight is gone away. So athletes can do what they want to do at any time in any given situation. And I think it's easier to do these days because – a, we know more about mental health, and B, the money is so big. The money is huge. And so you don't have to endure the mental anguish and the mental struggle for as long to secure financial sort of means for your family, financial security for your family for a long, long time. So, uh, again, all in all, it's just a, a paradigm shift because we were taught, hey, and I'm, I'm saying I think that this is an evolution. And I think that we see this in every aspect of our lives where people are acknowledging, okay, yeah, mental struggle is real. And, again, it's a matter of what pressure is to that person. What is pressure? What pressure do you put on yourself? I don't think that – I think the pressure that was on her seemed to be more internal than external. Because she's seen the outpouring of love, even though she didn't perform, people still love her. And we'll always love and acknowledge her as the greatest to ever do it in gymnastics. So, so the pressure of the GOAT, I think it was more internal. I think everybody was anxious and, and anticipating watching her and cheering her on. She was by far the biggest star going into these Olympics. And I think not having her family there, COVID, isolation, no fans, all of those things, in addition to whatever else is going on, uh, are you know, are issues that really manifested themselves. She did bounce back on the balance beam and come up with a bronze medal. Some of the other young ladies on that gymnastics team stepped up. Suni Lee won the all-around individual, so a goal for the USA. So that's a, a big, big deal. So we'll have to monitor the way sports and athletes handle mental health moving forward. We've seen a lot. Kevin Love in the NBA, a lot of guys stepping up. And I think that's a wonderful thing because for so long, you know, you talk about the previous generation, how we were taught, then guys would drug up or alcohol up or their lives would fall apart as soon as they stepped away from the game because, again, they didn't know how to cope with their mental health and all the things that – all the pressures that came with it and, uh, you know, just it's a, a serious, serious thing. But I'm glad that she's sought help and got herself together in her mental health. I hope it continues to improve. I hope Naomi Osaka continues to bounce back and, and improve uh, mentally. She went out in the Olympics after lighting the torch uh, for the Olympics, lost in the second round. And so she didn't even medal. But again, the more important thing is how she bounces back mentally. So that is going on. Going to take a time out. Come back on the other side. I'm going to give you my top 10-ish favorite things about the Olympics, uh, these Olympics, and, of course, our conversation with Eddie Robinson and Lamont Award on Sports Talk with Devin Wade podcast. Sports Talk with Devin Wade wants to thank our sponsor, Kofi Bankus and CoBank Homes. The vision at CoBank Homes is simple, and it stems from the belief that clients can trust CoBank to guide them to realize one of, if not the single largest investment decision they will ever make, their home. CoBank simply looks to build lifelong relationships through service. They do this by using faith, knowledge, and technology to guide clients through the process of achieving their real estate goals. 
be it buying, selling, or investing in real estate, contact Kofi at 832-757-7950. That's 832-757-7950. CoBank Homes through Keller Williams. Check him out on Instagram, on SoundCloud, somewhere around Houston. He's always performing, doing his thing. Definitely check him out, show him some love, tell him how much you appreciate him, because I appreciate him, and I know you do as well. But if you have music and you want it played on the podcast, just email us, music at wadeswordproductions.com. That's music at wadeswordproductions.com. The genre doesn't matter. We'll play a snippet at the halfway point and an extended portion of a mix on an entire song at the end of a podcast. So you definitely want to hit that up. Genre doesn't matter. We want it to be radio edit, though. Relative radio edit. Try to keep it mostly clean here. But I'll tell you what, you definitely want to do that because it enhances what we do here and it gives you some great exposure. Also, just to clarify, when you go to Libera Pay, Make sure you look for Sports Talk with Devin Wade and search for that, and then you make your contribution. You just can't make a contribution to Liberia Pay. Or maybe you can, but specifically look for Sports Talk with Devin Wade if you want to make a contribution. Also, uh, new T-shirts coming out. So uh, that I'll give you an update on that when those come in. But one of the things I want to talk about before we get to uh, Eddie Robinson are the things that I love about the 2020-2021 Olympics. This has been great, and I want to open this with the theme, but I would have to pay for it, so I just... That's the best I can do with that. I won't infringe on the rights of NBC to play that theme from the Olympics, but there's so many things that I really love about the Olympics. I've been going crazy about the Olympics, but so many things has stood out to me. One of the things that has stood out to me is what I just saw. Open water swimming where the guys, like when you run a marathon, they, they have hand you water. Well, these guys are swimming about seven miles. And so what they do, instead of giving them water, they call them feedings. So imagine being in the middle of a race in water, not waist high. I'm talking about we'll, we'll drown you water and you have to feed. And I don't know what's in this bottle that they're drinking from, but these guys grab the bottle and they backstroke while they ingest this liquid and they call it feedings. It's crazy, man. But that leads to like things that I'd look at, like what would kill me first? Like which of these events would really do damage the men's high bar? Men don't do the, the balance beam, but if I was on the balance beam, that would be life risking for me. Water polo. 
Water polo will be <laughs> these guys. You, you keep thinking, okay, well maybe they had a, the, the feet on the bottom. No, they don't touch the bottom, and they swim four or five miles a match. And it's a lot of physical contact. I don't know. I think that that will be a, a very risky thing for me. Weightlifting will be one. Like I said, the open water swimming will be one. Several of these events will be, I mean, forget about skateboard or BMX. I wouldn't even be good enough to get hurt when it comes to uh, skateboarding and some of the stuff that they do with the BMX stuff. It's, it's crazy. And it's always interesting to have opinions about sports that you never even hardly seen, let alone play. But we all become experts uh, for the first uh, over a couple of weeks on a particular uh, event. One of the things that stood out to me, the Indonesian badminton team, doubles team, ladies. I'm telling you, if you have not seen badminton, you need to check that out. It is incredible. At one point, the Indonesian team, one of the ladies, broke her racket and needed to leave the court during the point to get a new racket. Her partner volleyed back and forth. She came back and hit the winning point. It's incredible what they do with the shuttlecock. That's the little birdie that they hit back and forth. If you ever play badminton, it's called the shuttlecock. They hit it back and forth unbelievable thing i mentioned this to eddie but watching a team there's something i love about the olympics when you see a a someone win for a country that never wins and what it means to that country i teared up for the indonesians i mean they don't even hardly have a flag it's like red and white just like just a random flag and i mean i'm sure it has meaning i'm not trying to diss the indonesians by any means, but I will tell you this, to see what those ladies did and felt like, it was amazing. Also, when, when some of them lose from other countries, and they were really just heartbroken because they were really fighting hard for their country. That is something that you want to definitely see and enjoy. Delilah Muhammad, the rivalry between Delilah Muhammad and Sidney McLaughlin in the 400 hurdles has been amazing to watch. And now these are not traditional rivals, and you know me. I like my rivals to hate each other. If you don't, if I'm competing against you, I don't want to like you. But I, I like the fact that these ladies are friendly rivals. They support one another to an extent. Iron sharpens iron is what Sidney McLaughlin said of Delilah Muhammad. And I'm telling you, it is. It was a beautiful thing to see because these ladies, the last four times they've been on the track, one or the other has set the world record when they run against one another, and they know that every time they come on the track that they better bring their best because pushing one another, that will lead them to record-breaking performances. And it did for Sidney McLaughlin, who won the gold. Delilah Muhammad won the – Delilah Muhammad won the silver. And uh, Anna Cockrell won – well, she ran in the final. She didn't uh, – she didn't uh, – she ended up getting disqualified. She stepped out of her lane or something. But just an amazing performance in the 400. Rod Benjamin ran the night before, set a world record in the 400-meter hurdles. A world record wasn't good enough because he got beat by a guy who broke that record. He was he was second to that guy. And what I loved about Benjamin is that despite the fact that he ran the best race of his life, he lost. And because he had that desire, that deep American desire to win, he was heartbroken. He was upset by the fact that he lost that race. It was really, really heartbreaking for him. And I felt his pain since then. Of course he's put perspective on it, but he wanted to win that bad. And anybody that wants to be win that bad is, Hey, I am for you. I'm team. You talk about this, the trampoline trampoline has been amazing. You got to find clips of this. 
because they bounce up, what, five stories or something like that. So you definitely want to check that out. Women's boxing has been fun. And I had to go through all of NBC's Olympic coverage on my fire stick to watch all of the different sports. And I've watched women's boxing. It has been really impressive. I've been amazed by that. Boxing, now that I get into the semis and the finals, has been really, really good. And I hope somewhere, NBC's not showing boxing any love. So that is definitely disappointing. And I wish they would do something to show some boxing because this, uh, you know, you're getting out to some really good fights here. Uh, some p- folks will be uh, looking at for the next five, few years, I suspect, because there's some quality coming out of these Olympics. Another thing that I have discovered about these Olympics that have been a, just an eye-opening and just the most entertaining thing you ever want to see. So when you watch these broadcasts, and it's not during primetime during NBC's coverage, a lot of times you'll get English commentators. I don't know if that's the feed that they're giving us online or whatever, but English commentators are just brutal. I mean, they keep it real. They are so insulting without intent. I mean, they're like, they, if you're losing, you do not want to lose a match if English commentators are calling. I was watching a boxing match. I've been watching a bunch of stuff. And if, when people get beat, it's just, they don't, they don't pull any punches. They're like, oh, guy from Belgium, he's clearly losing and deservedly so. He's getting beaten about the ring. What an embarrassing performance. <laughs> like, man, what are you, where's the love, English guy? With a performance like this, they had no chance at all. And it was a volleyball match. Like, oh, they're sweeping them, and yeah, they're clearly not prepared for such a match. <laughs> and then that, like, the intent is not there, but they are really throwing people all the way under the bus. English commentators have been my favorite thing in these in these Olympics, and they're not. You never know when they're going to come or what what sport you're going to find them in. But when you find them, you got to sit down and watch and watch the insults start to flow. And Finally, uh, the young lady from Morton Ranch High School here, Tamira Mensa Stock from uh, Katy, Texas, a wrestler, female wrestler, won the gold medal. And I'm telling you, this young lady is going to be a star. If I can get her on the podcast on KTSU Sports Talk, we're going to make that happen. Just so full of energy, but she will throw your all over that mat. She is about that life, but just the friendliest, most bubbly personality saw on the Today Show this morning. She is a star. She's going to emerge a celebrity out of these Olympics. So there's so many other things. Maybe we'll do some more of that down the road. But right now, I want to get into our conversation with our guy, Eddie Robson. Our guy, Eddie Robinson, how are you this afternoon? Oh, man, everything's moving good. Good sports weekend. Of course, you have the Olympics, Formula One, you know, a lot going on. How much of the Olympics have you seen? Have you have you really kind of, have you dived in? Because it seems like that's, it would be perfect for you. That seems like that would be your thing. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they had the cycling early on and the, the men's and women's cycling, of course, and also the time trial. So I saw that early on. Well, uh, now have you have you had a chance to catch trampoline? I've been talking about trampoline. Have you seen the trampoline? You know, I I, I have a little streamer service where I, I pick up all of the, the uh, European news and, and Eurosport, and I saw it on there advertised, but I missed it, so I, <laughs> I didn't actually see it. But I, I, I mean, I saw it. Now, what's really good if you watch the doubles? 
you know the little thing with the little fly net thing where they hit it over again, like oh. it looks like tennis. Badminton. Yeah. I would look. I I was in tears but, watching but Indonesia. Badminton is incredible. I mean, it is like amazing what those guys can do. Well, I saw the ladies this morning, and Indonesia beat China. And I'm telling you, when they did the national anthem for Indonesia, I teared up. I mean, it was it was a thing. You know what I mean? How about the 100 meters? A dude named Lamont won the 100 meters, man. Lamont won the 100 meters. I don't know if you saw that last night. Well, you know, Lamont is actually from Texas. Did you know that? Yeah, it, he it, grew it, up in, it, in El Paso for six months. No, nah, he didn't grow up. He was born in El Paso. Then he moved to Italy. Stop claiming the guy. He was there for, <laughs> a, according to the commentators, he was there for a short period of time. He wasn't there very long. Hey, man, we got our, got him off to a great start his first six months. So so we, we're going to take credit. Oh, you uh, got, oh, so so you're saying the, the, the water in Texas kind of got him ready to be an <laughs> Olympic champion 25 years. That's right. Hey, that West Texas soil did it. That's what did it. You sound like a, you sound like a true Texan. Oh, that's what we do here, man. So a lot going on. I want to dive into some NFL stuff briefly. We know that Carson Wentz got hurt today. He'll be out uh, and he'll have surgery today or tomorrow, and uh, he will have uh, he'll be out five to twelve weeks. So the Indianapolis Colts have already taken a hit, but the Texans. I mean, surprisingly enough to a lot of people, including me, uh, Deshaun Watson did report. And now Deshaun is just kind of waiting around. He doesn't really practice. He puts on a helmet. How miserable is that entire situation? That just looks ridiculous to me. Well, it does. But for Deshaun Watson, I think it was the best move for him because that $50,000 a day fine, according to the CBA, can't be waived. So why would you sit home just giving away money? You know what I'm saying? So if if I'm going to go there and I'm not going to be disruptive and I'm going to be mature about this, and I'm just going to wait for you to trade me. So I think the ball is now in the Texans' court. I mean, they have to make something happen, and they keep saying, hey, we want fair market value for them, but it's not a fair market situation. Like, if I mean, we, you, you're from Houston. I'm from New Orleans. So if your house floods and then you're trying to sell your house after the flood, you're not going to get fair market value. You're going to get a discount because your house is in the flood zone. So that's what they have. They have a, they have a flooded house right now. So they just better try to dump that, dump it. And, and not that he's a bad player, but the situation is such that if I'm an NFL team, I mean, can he really come in, learn a playbook, and start and be productive this year? Probably not. So I'm not going to give you full value for him. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just looking at it from a standpoint of the organization. Why would you just have him? I mean, obviously he reported he did what he was supposed to do. He's clearly somewhat of a distraction, although he's not doing anything to be a distraction, but just his presence there. Obviously, every question, I mean, you're going to get a lot of Deshaun questions almost every day. Our camera's going to be focusing in on him. If you're the Texans, why do you even have him there like that? Because I think the organization looks stupid. Yeah, because if you're, if you're the Texans, he's he could have reported. You could have did your check-in physical, and then you could have told him, "Hey, Deshaun, you don't have to come to practice every day." I mean, yeah, that that probably would make the most sense. I mean, I don't know if they're trying to, you know, figure well, we're gonna put pressure on to make him come every day, make him stand in front of the media every day, and and at that point, you know, he'll cave in and 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 take a trade or something. I I don't know, but still, you have to convince a team to offer what you think he's worth, and we know he's worth a lot. But in this situation, if I'm a team, I'm not going to offer a lot. So I, I would just wait it out. I mean, I think the NFL, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's teams that want him and want, and want to trade for him, but they're just not going to give up everything for Deshaun Watson in the situation that he's in. 
I don't know how that's going to play out. It just does. It's not a good look. It looks ridiculous. And it's just not, you know, it's just not the way to handle that. I don't know what way to handle that if I'm the Texans, but that's not it. What about the the vaccine and the players, the new demands, or actually the clarity provided by the NFL about what is going to happen this year if unvaccinated players cause cancellations or postponements in games? And obviously there's a lot of pushback from players around the league. What's your take on that as a former player? All right. Well, let, let's play a little game. Then I'm going to do you like this. So I, I'm going to say knock, knock. Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? Who's there? All right. Now, I'm, I'm going to say CB. CB who? I'm going to say CBA. Where the hell is the CBA? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, but, you know, it seemed like the Players Union, uh, that they the, re, the release that they That's put exactly out there. exactly what I'm talking about. Where is the Players Union? So the Players Union has to make a statement. So at some point, they have to stand up and say, hey, we're speaking on behalf of the players and we want this to happen or we're going to negotiate that to happen. I don't I don't think it's fair for each individual player to have to speak up as an individual based on if he wants to be vaccinated or not. I mean, it's an individual choice. So, yeah, so in, in my opinion, the Players Association has to step up and they have to kind of come up with a statement or a policy. I mean, you have to respect the, a player's right to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm OK with getting vaccinated or I don't want to get vaccinated. You don't have to agree with it, but you have to respect it. Well, the Players Union said that the, the, the parameters aren't much different. Like, nothing changed about how it was. The only difference now is that if it's because of players who are non-vaccinated, then everybody loses their game check. So, I mean... Well, that's that's so basically you're saying economically that if I don't get vaccinated, I have a chance of not getting my salary. You know, so... But that's I'm more than sure that's not addressing the CBA. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they they have everything in there, but nobody thought that this would happen. I mean, I don't I don't know. So Eddie, you cut out on me a little bit, but let me ask you this: If unvaccinated players who get COVID are the cause for cancellations, who should pay for that? I buy the NFL ticket. The Sunday ticket, if they start canceling games, I'm going to want some of my money back. So who's ultimately supposed to pay <laughs> well, for that? I, I think, you know, one thing we know about the NFL, it's a whole lot of players who are dreaming to play in the NFL. So if you have to do like a taxi squad of 10 players or expand the practice squad, which I think they did last year, that way you you have enough position players or players in general in order to fill a roster in case some guys do get COVID who are unvaccinated, and then I, I think those guys should be able to step up and play, you know, for a guy that, that has COVID for a couple of weeks or whatever. So, but I mean, again, that would so be not, my answer to it. I, I, don't, I don't think it should get to where you're canceling games because I, I don't know the numbers, team to team, or how many people are vaccinated or not vaccinated. Well, I mean, some right. teams more than more than others, you know, uh, uh, have. Correct. And, but but he, what the the problem with your your answer is that would pass on the responsibility to the owners to have to pay for all of these additional players. And you know that the NFL owners are not trying to incur any more costs. So if you sign fifteen more guys, it's coming out of the owners' pocket. You know, and the practice squad players are getting a minimum amount of salary. So, okay. I mean, so, uh, <laughs> I, it, trust me, not has not one NFL owner has gone broke from NFL. Now, well, maybe and, he, and they, and maybe they, he lost money from some other business, but 
The NFL will never go broke. And so. the reason why he won't go broke is because he's not going to pay for 15 extra players. Well, yeah, because there's some shrewd businessmen, and, and they're only going to pay for, like, what you're saying. So, yeah, so I don't know what the solution is. There's some people with bigger brains than me and you. You know, I'm a, I'm a player. I'm not an owner. And so in situations when I feel like the players uh, have to speak up and fight for themselves, I feel like, the Players Association needs to step up as a group and say, "Hey, this is this is our view as a as a team. I mean, as as a team of players, and this is where we're going to fight for. And this is our line of stand." So let me ask you this: as a player in a locker room, I mean, and obviously you never experienced anything like this, but what would happen if if a couple guys on your team cost you a game check, or if guys on the opposing team cost you a game check? where you have to forfeit and maybe lose out on some playoff money. Is there something that could conceivably create friction in the locker room or everybody's just like kumbaya? Well, I, I think this is such a unique situation. To me, the only thing that I can say is similar is is maybe when a guy failed a drug test. You know, we, we've had some guys on a team where I'm like, look, dude, we, we need you to pass this drug test. So, And, and it may just be like, hey, man, I'm, I'm just a casual cannabis smoker right man well be cannabis, be casual once you retire but for right now i really need you to pass this drug test so let's let's focus if you need me to help you whatever as a teammate then i will and so that that's the only situation that i can you know refer to to say you know it's, it's even closely remote to this but and, and this is such a unique situation i would think that if, if i'm an nfl player and the locker room is all about you know, togetherness and family that you have to respect the individual's opinion. And if a person says that for whatever reason, Hey, I, I'm not comfortable with taking the vaccine. You can disagree with them, but you still have to respect his opinion. So, and so, but his opinion is his opinion, but if it costs you money, well, I mean, are you not, still not okay? so much his opinion, but his decision, his opinion and his decision. And if it's, but if, it, if it's costing you money, then Hey, you can encourage and say, Hey man, you know, I, I really want you <laughs> I think you should because we have a chance to be great, et cetera, et cetera. But but you're talking about, you know, the physical body and long-term effects, et cetera, et cetera. And, and, and hey, I'm not anti-vaccine, but I can understand and respect the person's opinion if they are anti-vaccine. Tory Smith, former, I guess current NFL player, I guess he's still hanging around the league, said that, well, hey, you guys had to get, the, you know, you had to be vaccinated to play in school, right? Did you not have to have Correct. physicals and play in school? So I don't know. But I guess, you know, there's a new vaccine, new new deal, so I get it. Um, I, I'm, well, I don't get it, but it is what it is uh, as it pertains to that. I want to ask you about the other thing that has really been challenging for me from a perspective of, uh, someone who grew up playing sports and, and competing and all of those things. What do you think of, about Simone Biles' situation over at the Olympics? Well, I mean, I look at it like this. You know, my my thing, Eddie George is a guy I played with and Steve McNair. I mean, I love those guys because more than anything, especially Eddie George, I mean, they never missed a game. I think Eddie George may have missed one game in his career. And so – as, as a football player with that mentality of we're going to get it done no matter what, but the biggest thing is be available. And so if, if you tell me you're hurt, then I'm never going to question a person's injury, you know, because if I'm hurt and I, I played 11 years and missed one game, but if I'm hurt, then you got to trust me that I'm hurt. And, and that's part of me respecting you as a man. I know, you know, Simone Biles is a woman, but at, but at the same time, from an athlete standpoint, 
when an athlete who's a competitor, like she has been in her career, if she tells you for whatever reason she can't do it, then you have to respect that she can't do it. Because if she could do it, she would absolutely go out there and give it her best. And whether that reason is physical or mental or anxiety or whatever it is, you have to respect that. And if she says she can't do it, I'm going to respect her and say, hey, you know what? I don't understand what you have going on, but I'm going to respect you to say, hey, as a competitor that I know if you could do it, you would give it your best. But right now you can't. So, hey, I'm going to say, hey, let's get yourself ready to go um, for whenever you can get back. But more importantly, just take care of yourself as a as an individual because life is bigger than sports, as we all know. Yeah, and I just think we were programmed in our generation, obviously, as competitors to that's part of the glory overcoming, you know, mental adversity and physical adversity, you know, overcoming those things. I mean, I, I totally understand the ramifications of mental health issues so I, I can't take that lightly but as a father of, of two athletes uh you know when do you tell your sons to press through adversity or hey it's okay to stop you know it's okay to walk well, away I, I think you you tell them hey and the man you gotta you have to be honest with yourself and you know how far you can go and if you're at a point that you can't go any further physically or mentally and, and i think one thing we can't do is say, well, you know, back then, you know, you just take some smelling salt and you go back in there, you put your helmet on and you knock the crap out of somebody. Well, you know, back then when I was in high school, we would have one water break for a three hour practice in New Orleans and they would give us one cup because they didn't want us to cramp up. You know what I'm saying? So it, it took some kids to die for them to realize like, hey, you know what? Kids need to hydrate. We need to have water out there. They need to drink as much as they want. So we can't go with what we were doing back then. And right. so what we know about mental health now compared to then is like night and day. And so, yeah, I think the mental health aspect of it is just as important as the physical aspect. So with my sons, I'm like, hey, man, you have to be smart enough and tough enough to know, hey, I expect you to fight through it. And, and it's the difference between a injury, you know, where you where you can't play or just something that's, uh, you know, a little minor pain or something that you have to fight through. But that's an individual thing that an athlete has to say. And you gotta you have to answer that the rest of your life to say, hey, I, I could have gone and I did. You know, so and guys who are really committed and are focused in it, they're not gonna just back out of it. But as a teammate, I have to trust you that I'm gonna give hundred percent, you're gonna give hundred percent. And if you tell me you can't go, then at that point I'm done asking you about it. You know, I'm a, I'm gonna move on. So that's that's how that's how I've always been. I'm never gonna question the guy's toughness. But I have been on a team with, with, with one or two guys where you're like, man, you know what? This dude here, we can't count on him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so right. that. But, but that's, a, that's a whole lot of, you know, that's, that's just something where guys are saying, you know, this guy should be able to fight through that. But, you know, it, it's, it's a tough situation. But when it comes to a mental health issue, that's not something that we can we can't x-ray it. We can't measure it. So it's, it's, it's not a, to me, it's not even up for a question of debate. You know, if a person tells you they have a mental health issue, then that's it. That's 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 done. Until they till they get ready mentally, then I don't think there's anything that you need to even say. And it's disrespectful to question them. Especially somebody like her who's been so successful and has competed so hard and has been at the top of her game for so long. I mean, I don't think you can question her commitment to the sport. 
Right. And, and again, I think there's so many converging factors in that situation that really would make it, make it challenging mentally for anybody. When you think about it, none of your family and friends are there. Essentially, she was supposed to be done last year in 2020. But because of COVID, she had to extend her career, you know, another year to make it to the Olympics. So and then, of course, she's getting older. She's dating and all of the things that, that come with real life. You put all of those things on top of uh, one another and that creates a, a, a ton of pressure and, and of course you know things happen uh, have you in your playing days and your 11 years in the nfl did you come across many, many guys in the locker room that had mental health things or, or dealt with something that that you can take you could tell week in and we got okay he's having some issues uh you know what not not specifically because i i think uh back then you know, we were still on, man, that dude a little crazy. You know, it was, it was just, it was just a different era and a, di- a different time where I don't even know if we had like a hotline number. If you have mental health issues or stuff like that, a number that you can call and get confidential treatment. So it, it was just a matter of, Hey, you tough it up and, and you, and you get it going. So, I mean, fortunately as a society, we were a whole lot more aware that mental, mental health is a real illness and a sickness. And it's something that can be treated. But in order to treat it, you have to first acknowledge it that is there. And so I think we grew up in the era where, you know, it's like you kind of criticize and ostracize where if a person did have a mental health issue, more than likely they didn't feel comfortable enough to bring it up. And I think now, especially with Simone Biles, uh, this should open it up for a lot more people to say, hey, yeah, you know, I this is not physical, but I, I have something going on and, and I'm feeling a way that's not right. Because you, you know when you're not feeling right. You know, I've been you know, depressed for, for more than the last two weeks. And it's, it's kind of, you know, when, when people always look at that person that has money who was an athlete or an entertainer or a movie star, you say, oh, wow, what a wonderful life. But just because it looks like a wonderful life on outside doesn't necessarily mean it's a wonderful life on the inside. They have the same pressures and sometimes even more. And it can get to the point where it's too much for a person to handle. So, And I want to talk about the pressure aspect because you played in the Super Bowl. You played in big games. You played in games that determined your financial future in a lot of ways. How did you handle pressure? How are you are you programmed to handle pressure? And what do you pass on to the kids that you work with and even your sons? Well, I think, first of all, you just have to uh, – it's a constant, you know, in order to handle pressure, you have to put yourself in pressure situations. So when I, when, I, when I was coaching my kids in baseball and all those kids in high school now, when I realized that, that we can do good for five innings, but we couldn't do good for seven innings. Because once it got to a pressure situation, you, you're out there in the sun, it's an hour and a half, and then you realize that things aren't going well. And so what you do is you try to recreate that pressure situation of that environment in practice. So you practice longer. Hey, you know, if we don't do, you know, 10 correct plays, then we start over from, from one. And I would do the same thing with my sons. And I had coaches that would do that. Hey, all right, we gotta, we have to finish with five perfect plays before we get off the field, because now you're creating a pressure situation. Or you have a field goal kicker. You're like, all right, if he makes this kick and nobody runs, but if he misses it, the whole team doing sprints. So now it's like the team is behind him and he realizes the pressure of we're all like, come on, man, make the kick, make the kick. And if he makes it, it's like, yeah. So you're trying to, and that's, that's the job of a good coach. You recreate a pressure situation. So when it happens in the game, the kid or the player or the adult, whoever, he's been there before. It's something that he can experience. Like, hey, I've been through this pressure situation. I know what it's like. I'm not going to 
get it right all the time because part of it is realizing that sometimes you're going to fail. Sometimes you're not going to win. You're going to miss the kick. You're going to drop the pass. But you just have to fight through it. And once you just relax and just go out there and do your very best. So yet, it's just like you, I don't know, it's one of those things, once you do it and you have success at it, it's easier and easier each time. And then you almost expect it. Like, you have to go out there with a certain level of confidence and expect to do well and be great. And if it doesn't end up that way, you say, hey, you know what, let me look at it, but I'm going to be great the next time. It's, it's kind of it's like the guy going up to bat. You know, it's like, I'm when you going to get your next hit on the next at bat. I don't care if you're 0 for 30. Hey, the next one's going to be the next hit. I'm about to start a hitting streak. You know, and so that's the attitude you have to have. So what was the most uh, pressure-filled uh, situation you experienced where you 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 actually felt the pressure? Oh, I think whenever you're in the playoffs. I mean, the, the NFL is, is like three seasons. It's preseason, regular season, and playoffs. And once, I think the, the thing about the playoffs is that it's such a – it's a finality. You know, it's like if you lose, it's like it's no practice on Monday. You're turning your stuff in, and, and that's it. You know, but but honestly, when we were in the Super Bowl, even though we lost and it was pressure, you kind of – it was different because you knew this was the last game. So you go all out, and no matter what, it's over with. So And, and, it, and, it, and it did get to a mental strain of, you know, because you know, we had the Music City Miracle, which was like a really close game where the defense gave up a lead at the end. And then, you know, we played, I think, uh, the Colts and then Jacksonville. So each game gets to be more and more and more and more pressure. But, I mean, you look at the, the, the Tom Brady's and the team that, the teams that do it well year after year, it's like once you kind of get into a groove and you do it and you do it again, at that point you start expect to do, expecting to do great. And that's when it really feels good. When you, when you win some close games and, and you go into the confidence where you're not hoping to win, you're expecting to win, and you're not going to win them all, but you're going to win a whole lot more than that team that, hey, every time they go through that situation, it's like, yeah, you know, we've blown so many leads. Here we go again. And it's just it's just something that's mental in the back of your head. So it, it can work for you, but it can also work against you. Now, you are on the field for some monumental collapses when you talk about the Oilers. What was that? I mean, was that a a a breakdown? Did the team wilt under pressure? And if so, I mean, you don't have to get specific, but was it a situation with did the coaches wilt under the pressure, or it was was it just one of those things that happened? I mean, kind of. I mean, I know no one wants to relive that, not, at least of which is not me. I don't want to relive that, but I mean, I really I'm interested in your take on that. Well, I, I think when you when you have losses, especially when you, when you're up, and you say, "Man, how did we lose that game?" or "What happened?" Is is usually a number of different things. So in that game, you you had the the weather. So the weather was one thing, and then the team didn't make the adjustment to the weather. So if you're if you're still throwing a football into the wind, and is and is a twenty mile an hour wind, and it's not going to be effective. So at that point, you should run the football. So and when you punt or kick into the wind, and the kick goes fifteen yards. So it's a lot of different. It's, it's not one thing, but you know how momentum can switch sides. So then you have the team that's down, like, hey, wow, we thought we were season's ending, but, hey, you know, we may have a chance. So then you start getting that, hey, we're going to play a little extra harder. So it wasn't one thing. Then you had a wide receiver that ran out of bounds, came back in and caught the ball for a touchdown. So it was like it, like everything that needed to happen for Buffalo happened and everything that needed to go wrong for us went wrong. If, if one of those things would have flipped the other way, it could have been a different story. But and that's that's just how sports and life goes sometimes. Sometimes it's just like you just have to stop it. So I think if you noticed 
in the Titans game, Jeff Fisher did a good job of, I think the score was 16-0, and the Rams were like, they were almost on their way to, to hey, blowing us out. But he, I think he did a great job of sensing the moment, of calling the team up and saying, hey, look, this is a football game. We got to play four quarters. That team over there, I think that they've won the game because it's 16-0. And it kind of let everybody know, like, hey, this is a moment that if we don't do something right now, that this game is going to get bad really quick. And, of course, the game went down to a final play. And I think because of that, you know, him calling people up was just him realizing that, hey, this is a big time in this game. And I think coaches and you kind of know, like, hey, this is this is a situation right here where, you know, if, if we don't step up and make a play, it is going downhill fast. And, and, and you have to point it out, and then you have to do it. And, and it starts in practice, and you do it in the game, and you can't look around for somebody else to make the play. Each person has to try to make it themselves. When, at what point in that game did you really start to feel the anxiety, or did you ever feel the anxiety uh, in that Buffalo game? I mean, did you ever feel like, man, this is getting away from us? Well, not really. I don't. I don't think until the full quarter. I think as a competitor, you always feel like, hey, we're going to make a play and we're going to do something to to get it done. So it was never. I mean, me personally, I never felt like uh, we we're going to lose the game. I felt like it was going to be a close one, and will instead of us blowing them out and having an easy win, we're going to have to, you know, have a tough win. So, I mean, I'm I'm always under that mindset of, you know, we're going to figure it out. And so, and I think if you're a true competitor. That's how you you always have to think and say something's going to happen. Somebody's going to make a play to uh, to to get it back to our side. But hey, it just didn't in that game. Just you know, ran out of time and and field goals, special teams, offense, defense. Not one part of it could make that one play that needed to be made. I know we having uh, having some major connection issues, so I'm gonna let you get out of here on this one. But we're gonna catch up with you real soon, okay? All right, that works for me, man. I appreciate it as always. To have your comments heard, call 832-941-6614. want to thank Ed, as always. We had some major connection issues, but we got through that to put that together for you guys. But you know what? Now it's time for the Lamont Awards. I don't want to wish you no bad luck, but I hope your ship sinks. With no lifeboats and no life preserver and a school of piranhas surrounding you, you big dummy. The Lamont Award usually goes to the player, team, entity, someone in or around the world of sports that we deem to be the big dummy of the episode. Now, uh, I had it all reserved for the Houston Texans and how they have mishandled. Okay, so you wanted Deshaun to report, Deshaun Watson to report, or you were going to find him $50,000 a day. He couldn't recoup that money. He came. So what do you do? You have him suit up and dress up and dress out, but not take snaps with the first team, take snaps with the with the scout team, with the fourth team, and, and play safety? What, I, what are you doing with him? I mean, what you do and how you handle this will dictate relationships you have with players in the future, free agents, potential free agents, people you want to re-sign with your team. They're not handling this well. They just have him there. They shouldn't even have him there. He should just, you know, hey, you report it, you did what you're supposed to do, now go home. I don't know how this will resolve itself, but if you're not going to play him, if you're not going to practice him, if you're not going to do anything to utilize his skill set to make your team better, just send him home. But they don't get a Lamont. I mean, they are, they get a perpetual Lamont Award. But this time, the Lamont Award is a good thing. Although it goes to, to some of the, the dumbest things we see in sports, this is a good thing because the winner 
of the 100 meters in the Olympics, the world's fastest man, although he doesn't have the world record, but he's the world's fastest man right now, went to a guy named Marcel Jacobs. Now, that's not his whole name. His whole name is Lamont Marcel Jacobs. He's from Italy. The dude is built like a fullback. I mean, the dude is huge. I don't know what his measurements are, but he's a big, big dude. He came out of nowhere. The other racers didn't even know who he was. Like, who is this guy? He wasn't even on the radar, and somehow he won. And I don't know what that means or what the indication is about that, but he won the 100 meters in the Olympics for Italy. The good thing about it is, he was born in El Paso, Texas. So he's a Texan, but six months later, of course, he would move to, to Italy. But, yeah, he gets our Lamont Award. And you know what? He did a good thing. I hope he's clean. I hope everything is good with that. So this time, Lamont Marcel Jacobs is not a big dummy. You big dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, sometimes we could be nice with the Lamont Award. Hey, it's a good thing. Let's see how this thing... Tra- he came out of nowhere. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. I mean, he obviously made it to the Olympics, but he wasn't even a content... They didn't know who this guy was supposed to be. He was supposed to be one of our guys. Curly was supposed to win the gold medal. I mean, according to the people in the know. But this guy came out of nowhere and won it, so congratulations to him and to Italy for having the world's fastest man. At least, you know whatever in the 100 during the olympics in 2021 but before i let go before i let go i want to thank coach mckinney also want to thank e-rob eddie robinson want to thank our resident dj dj anarchy want to thank you guys for checking in as always certainly appreciate it make sure you give us a call at 832-941-6614 also you can go to the wadeswordproductions.com website wadeswordproductions.com com listen to past episodes all that good stuff and join the facebook group the sports talk with devin wade group on facebook remember all that but also remember these four things number one i don't do no favors after six o'clock in the evening two i ain't got no money three i'm not harboring any fugitives from justice and four bye <laughs> this has been the sports talk with devin wade podcast remember you can follow him on twitter at wade's word Thank you for listening.